Very good morning to you if you'd like to grab your donut, grab your coffee, grab your Bibles. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And uh, if you've been here over the past few weeks, we've been looking at what, uh, uh, what some um, people may call distinctives of the vineyard. Some of those things that we think are important here in this very small sort of corner of the body of Christ. As over the past few weeks, we've looked at things like the scriptures. We've looked at the kingdom of God. We've looked at how seeing the kingdom of God break through into the here and now in the lives of the people around us, the lives of those that we love and we serve our friends, our families, our neighbors. It's so incredibly important. And this morning I want us to carry that on by looking at something that the Lord has um, put on us here at Southwest London Vineyard, but also in the vineyard in um, general. I was reading Romans earlier this week, and I was, I was again struck by a verse in, in Romans chapter 15. And it's Romans chapter 15, and it's verse 7, and Paul writes this, and Paul writes accept one another then just as Christ accepted you accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God and this whole idea of accepting one another of welcoming uh, one another what it actually means is it, it means to take someone to yourself to take another to yourself. And, and, and what Paul's doing here is basically telling us, this is what you're supposed to do. He's saying, church, followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, Christians, this is what you're supposed to do. Accept one another. Welcome one another. Take each other. Take one another unto yourselves. And, you know, where does Paul get this idea? Where does, where does he get this notion that we should accept one another where does it come from i mean you know why should we i i might not like you very much why should i accept you much more probable much more likely is that you're not going to like me very much so why should you accept me why would you welcome me why should we accept so and so why 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 should we why would we accept such and such i you know i don't even know if i agree with them don't like the cut of their jib. Why? Well, uh, pretty simply, because Christ has accepted us. We are to accept one another because Christ has accepted us. We are to welcome one another because Christ has welcomed us. We are to take one another to ourselves because Jesus Christ has taken every single one of us to himself. This is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of God. This is how we have been loved by God, our Heavenly Father. This is how we have been loved by Jesus Christ, his Son. Every single last one of us has been welcomed with open arms. Every single one of us has been the recipient of his lavish Grace, every single one of us, we've received the welcome of the kingdom. 
The welcome of the good news of Jesus has been freely and abundantly lavished upon every single one of us. And so having been the recipient, that lavish abundance, that grace that leaves us, I am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I, I, I don't know what to say. I haven't got words to describe you. I haven't got words to describe the lavish abundance of your goodness and your grace that you've so freely poured upon us. Now, because we are the recipients of that, we get to lavish some of that on the people around us. We get to go and do as we have received. Freely we've received, freely we give. We go and spread that abroad. And we spread that abroad to everybody, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter how much we agree, no matter how much we disagree, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise and glory to God. And nowhere, in my humble opinion, is this, um, this whole thing better illustrated and better expressed than in a story from John's Gospel. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 8. We'll have a look. Um, It's not John transferring, is it? It's not in there, is it? Anyway, it's in John. Where is it? The woman caught in adultery. Where's it gone? Yes, yes, yes. It's not in here. It's not in here. Oh, yeah, here it is. Oh, yeah, Jack, thank you. Yeah, I have. I just wanted to make sure that it's actually in the Bible because it wouldn't be very good if I was teaching something that wasn't actually in the Bible. There you go. It's because it starts in verse 53. That's why I'm confused. Then he went to his own home. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again. Are we in the right place? Yes, very good. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Oh, good, yes, we're in the right place. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they brought in a woman caught... In adultery, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. 
Go now and leave your life of sin. It's a great, great story. Here's a woman who she's caught, literally, literally caught in the middle of an act of adultery. And in the terrible, um, the scrabble and the humiliation, the degradation of it all, maybe she's just managed to grab a, a sheet or a, a blanket and she's clutching it to her, as you sometimes see in the, the paintings portraying this scene in the story. The bloke that she was with has probably been allowed to slip away um, and just kind of scurried off out a back door so that there's no shame or embarrassment brought on him. And yet here she is, this woman, standing before all the condemning and leering eyes of the teachers and the Pharisees and no doubt a sort of ever-growing, curious and gawping crowd, all of whom are probably sort of rather secretly enjoying all the fuss and the commotion and the, the utter humiliation of this poor woman. Now, it's, it's one thing to be caught quite literally in this case. She's literally caught in the middle of the act. It's one thing to be caught. It's another thing um, entirely to come immediately face-to-face with Jesus. And all eyes are on Jesus. How is he going to respond? What was he going to do? What was he going to say? Have a look at verse 7. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he goes off and he writes again on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. How does Jesus respond? How does Jesus treat this woman? Does he condemn her? Does he judge her? Does he scrabble around trying to find the right size, shape, rock to throw at her? Or does he he turn the attention away from her, the accused, and turn it around onto her accusers? If any one of you is without sin, let you be the first to throw a stone at her. And slowly, of course, they all wander off until Jesus is left with the woman on her own. He says, where are they? Where, where are they? Has, has no one condemned you? But they've, they've all gone. Far too sensible. And it's right there. It's in, in this moment, in her moment of complete and utter vulnerability. She's standing literally naked. Before the Son of God, before the King of Kings, before the Lord of Lords. She's face to face uh, before the one to whom we will all eventually give account. The one before whom we will all eventually stand. And in that moment of shame and degradation, humiliation, vulnerability, accusation, judgment, criticism. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. We've got to read the story and we're just like, wow. Literally our jaws drop onto the floor. You know, this, is the, this is the kind of story that is familiar to us that makes us worship the way that we've just worshipped. It's, it's what gives fuel to our worship because when we know stories like this and we sing worship songs like the ones we've just sung about his furious love, about um, I, I can't find words to express myself. I'm overwhelmed. Isn't he beautiful? Beautiful. 
Isn't he beautiful? I mean, it's stories like this. It's encounters like this. It's experiences with Jesus like this that fuels our worship. During worship, something incredibly sweet was happening this morning. I don't know whether you noticed it. The Lord is just, as we worship, the Lord was um, softening all of our hearts. The Lord was just uh, unfurling us. And I was just standing at the back and just looking around the room. I could just see um, just, just groups of people just pressing into the Lord. Sweet, the sweetness of the presence of the Lord is, you know, as we worship together, as we get more intimate with the Lord, um, couples just holding hands and sticking their arms around each other just in intimacy and intimate embrace because it's part of the reflection of the kingdom of God. Something incredibly sweet was going on in worship. Something very tender. And this morning, you just, you know, look at these scriptures and you just listen to Jesus and you've got this breathtaking confidence, this authority of Jesus. And it reminds us that Jesus actually didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And this is a perfect illustration of it. He, he came not to crush, but to rescue. See, God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Jesus came to rescue. Jesus came to call unto himself, to set free a humanity deeply and profoundly and completely beloved of the Father. And what Jesus is saying here to this woman, um, and it's exactly the same thing that Jesus has said to every single one of us and is saying to every single one of us, and it is this, it is come as you are. Come as you are, just as you are. Caught in adultery, just come. Come as you are. Half naked and ashamed, just come. It's okay, just come. Hopeless and helpless and frightened and alone, just come as you are. Uh, But Jesus doesn't leave it at that. He doesn't stop there. um, Because he talks to this woman And then he says to her, go now and leave your life of sin. You see, what Jesus is saying in his words and in his attitude, through this whole like horrendous, terribly public scenario, is come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Come as you are, neither do I condemn you, but don't stay as you are. Go now and leave your life of sin. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And it's one of the most remarkable statements about the good news of Jesus Christ. That we can come just as we are. But by the grace of God, we don't have to stay that way. And that's incredibly good news for any of us who know ourselves. We can come as we are, but we don't have to stay that way. It's okay to have sinned. And what I mean by that is that we all mess up. We all make mistakes. We've all broken God's commands. We all stumble and fall. Every single one of us has made and probably will continue to make some pretty bad choices and some pretty bad decisions. We all gossip. Most of us steal. Plenty of us cheat. More than a good proportion of us lie. Some of us have even been known to break the speed limit. Many of us are jealous. Some of us are materialistic. And on and on and on and on and on it goes. But... 
because of God's love for us, made manifest in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our sin doesn't have to keep us from God. Our sin no longer has the power to separate us from God. Because of God's love for us, so perfectly demonstrated in and through the person of Jesus, sin doesn't have to rule over our lives anymore. Sin doesn't have to ruin our lives anymore. Because of what Jesus has done, because of his life, and because of his death, and because of his resurrection... Every single one of us, each and every one of us, has been accepted by Jesus Christ. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, there's this incredible welcome of the kingdom of God. Um, I haven't told him to say this, but some of you will know that um, when Kate first came to this church, she used to stand at the back um, smoking. Because this was back in the dark days. Some of you heard this story before. But this was back in the dark days when uh, smoking in public places was positively encouraged, let alone um, despised. Um, and so she would stand at the back of the church. You know, she'd stand at the back of the hall and she'd be smoking away, um, trying to look pretty mean, right? Which I thought was incredibly attractive and alluring. I, um, we weren't going out at that point. Um, we was, I was trying to go out with her and she was not having any of it. Um, but that's a whole other story of which I need much inner healing from. I'm just saying, you, you, were, you played hard to get. Yeah? Yeah? Good girl. Good girl. Yeah, like three, three years hard to get, can we just say? I, yeah. We, we accept one another, just as Christ has accepted us. But it doesn't mean to say we're not wounded. I'm joking. <laughs> anyway, so Kate, Kate, that's Kate, right? Kate, she would stand at the back and she'd smoke. She was, you know, she's pretty cool about this whole Christianity lark, you know. Um, she was pretty indifferent, I think, to be fair. Um, but although she hadn't given her life to Jesus at that point, there was something, there was something that compelled her to be there. there, there she had, she'd found something. She, she couldn't quite put a finger on it i guess but there was something that had captivated her and then she just had to be there she just she couldn't keep away and it wasn't long before she realized that that something was actually a someone and that someone was actually no one no no other than jesus the wonderful person of jesus and so one sunday she literally ran up to the front and gave her life to jesus and hasn't looked back the truth is when both of us when we first came to this church like so many of us and we came to this church with baggage you know you've ever been at Heathrow airport and you know people are walking around on their trolleys because they're emigrating to some other country and there's literally like it's their trolleys are piled high with suitcases that are wrapped in cling film and stuff that's kind of how we came into this church you know we came with our own supersonically overloaded trolleys of stuff but the thing that was incredible for us when we came to this church was that there was no bar there was no hoops that we had to jump through and we were welcomed just as we were as i say we came with a whole pile of junk but we were welcomed nonetheless we were we were loved in very corny cliched colin firth style just as we are it was the incredible welcome of the kingdom of god And you know, um, so often I think we get it the other way around. So so often I think we get this thing back to front. We often think that that we've got to change first 
And then we'll be acceptable. Then we'll be loved. You know, it's like, once I've left my life of sin, Jesus, you know, then you won't condemn me, will you? Then you'll accept me. Then you'll, then you'll love me. But I've got to leave my life of sin first. You know, it's no accident that Jesus chose the cross as the demonstration of the Father's absolute love for you, me, and the entire human race. It was a love that didn't regard death as too high a price. Here's a quote from Brandon Manning's The Furious Longing of God. Furious. Again, we sang that this morning. Uh, He writes this. He says, Paul wrote in Philippians, he emptied himself. He cried from his heart, nails in his hands, and poured out his blood that we might believe his love for us. Significantly, Jesus chose the giving tree, his cross, as the demonstrative sign of his absolutely furious love for all men and women. In the words of one early church father, the mightiest act of love ever to arise from a human soul. How is it then, he goes on, that we've come to imagine that Christianity consists of primarily in what we do for God? How has this come to be the good news of Jesus? You see, Christianity always starts with what God does for us, the great and wonderful things that God dreamed up, that he's achieved in and through the person of Jesus Christ. And, and this morning, as already has been happening, when the Spirit of God, when the Lord comes streaming into your life, as the presence and the power of the Lord comes into your life through the Scriptures, through his Word, through the manifestation of his Holy Spirit, through the fellowship of the saints, through the fellowship of the community all all he asks is this that we be astonished that he came to us at all the next time you look at the cross and and, and we realize the 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 price at which we are loved uh, all god asks of us as we tried feebly to express in our worship this morning all god asks is that we um, marvel that we surprise, that we, that we let our, our mouth hang open in silent wonder as we gaze upon the cross. So may I suggest that from this moment until you put your head on your pillow tonight, that you let the focus of your inner life rest on the truth, that the staggering, mind-blowing truth that God loves you just as you are, not as you should be. That God loves you. I don't mean the person next to you. I mean he loves them as well. But I'm talking about you. I'm not talking about Jackie Pullinger. I'm not talking about Billy Graham. You know, I don't mean that God loves the church in some sort of nebulous way. You know, or that God loves the whole human race, all of which he does. I'm talking about you. God loves you. I mean, the truth that God loves you in such a way that he would rather die than be without you. And it's hard for us. I mean, it's hard for us to get our heads around the fact that, that we are worth the death of anyone, let alone um, the Holy God. Do you know what? I've come to the conclusion that I think one of the biggest single mistakes we certainly British Christians make is this, and it's the attitude and it's the mindset that says that, um, that if I change, then God will love me. If I change... God will love me. Do you ever find yourself thinking that way? If only I was different, then God would love me. I must try a little harder. I must run a little faster. I must squeeze all those you know, judgmental, lustful, unkind, critical thoughts, get them out of my head. You know, if only I could just develop a proper, properly disciplined prayer life. If only I could be more generous. If only I could work harder at serving the poor. Then, you know, then God would love me. 
And you know what? When I find myself thinking that, um, which I do regularly, um, it's usually a sign that I'm on the run from God. Because, you see, when we're thinking like that, there's something about that thinking that closes us off. And it makes it incredibly difficult for the Lord to open our arms out so that we can embrace him. I find myself, you know, regularly, catch, I catch myself thinking to myself, saying to myself, you know, under my breath, half out loud, you know, oh, you're pretty rubbish, stupid, stupid thing to do, you know. Or, you know, you, you don't get it, or, you're, you know, you're not very bright, or you know what you're like, these kind of things. And um, do you know what? Not only is it a huge mistake, not only is it theologically unsound, it's also a serious delusion. It cripples our growth in the spirit. You see, because every time we say, Jesus, if I change, you'll love me, won't you? He says, hold on, hold on, time out. <laughs> Sorry, let me just get that. What did you just say? Because what Jesus is saying to us is, hold on, you've got it back to front. You don't have to change, so I'll love you. Jesus is saying, I love you so that you'll change. You don't have to change so that I'll love you. I love you. Just the way you are. Because of that love that Jesus has for us, change and transformation comes out. He says to us, once you know how deeply and how tenderly and how relentlessly and how passionately you're loved, change will come. It'll it'll come. It's the Spirit of God who convicts us and leads us into righteousness and truth. It'll come. We're being transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. It'll come. It'll happen. But we don't have to change and grow to be loved. You're loved. And it's that love that compels us to change and grow. When we reflect on the unrestricted, unbounded, unconditional love of God made flesh in Jesus Christ, we realize that this Jesus is the one who in this moment comes and sits by your side and says, do you know what, I I know your whole life story. We run and we hide from God as if he doesn't know. He's like, I hope he hasn't found out. (gasps) Only God found out. It's like he knows. He, he knows our whole life story. He comes and he sits next to us. He says, you know, I know every skeleton that you've tried to hide in every single closet and cupboard that you could possibly lay your hands on. I know. Jesus says to us, I know every moment of every bit of every sin and shame and dishonesty and selfishness that's wreaking havoc in your life right now and has ruined your life. I know, Jesus says to us, I know all about your shallow faith and your feeble prayer life and your inconsistent discipleship and da 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 da. Jesus, I know about all of it. Of course I do. I formed you, you were formed by your heavenly Father before you were. Um, his eyes saw your unformed body before you were woven together in your mother's womb. He knows every thought before it's in our head. He knows when we stand. He knows when we sit. He knows when we rise. There's nowhere that we can go from his presence. Even if I were to go and make my bed on the far side of the earth, he would be there. Jesus is just saying, do you know what? I dare you to trust without reservation that I love you at this moment just as you are, not as you should be. Just imagine for a moment that the, the crucified and risen Christ were to walk through the back doors of this school hall this morning. You know, Jesus was to literally walk through the doors. Uh, he, he Imagine he walks through the doors, he comes past the PA desk and he walks up uh, this aisle and he comes and he, he, he walks up the stairs here. 
And he pushes me out of the way. And imagine he's just standing here and he, he's looking around. He's looking around for you. And he, he finds you. Great. And then he goes back and he comes off the stage and he comes over and he sits right by you. And he looks you directly in the eye. And as you look at him, as you read his face, what is Jesus' face saying to you? What is Jesus, what does it look like when Jesus looks at you? What is he saying to you? Is he saying, you know, I'm, oh, I've had enough. So sick and tired of you. You're so fed up with your broken promises and your unkept resolutions, your shabby discipleship. Do you, do you do any of us seriously think that's what Jesus would be saying to us? Of course not. Or would he be saying, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Do you know what a joy it is for me to live in your heart? Do you have any idea how thrilled I am of you? How proud I am of you? That, that after I chose you, you freely chose me as your Lord and Savior. Do you, do you know how grateful I am that last Tuesday, you know, when you... Uh, uptight and strung out and everything was going horribly wrong you still took time to smile to that lonely and frightened old lady at the bus stop do you know how grateful I am to you that you've rearranged your life to be here this morning with just one purpose in mind you just want to be here you want to find out more about me you want to learn more about me through the scriptures you want to worship our Heavenly Father, with and alongside your brothers and sisters, the communion of the saints, the fellowship of the saints, so that you might love me more and that you might then share that love for me to others. What if Jesus were to come to you and say, do you know the only time you really break my heart is when you refuse to accept that every single repented sin of your life is not only forgiven, but it is completely and utterly forgotten so that I can't even remember what it is. What it was, it's been removed as far as the east is from the west. It's been blotted out. Would you please stop remembering it? Do you know that I've loved you from all eternity? Do you know that no matter what happens from here on in, I can't stop loving you? What is Jesus saying to you this morning? I'm convinced that on Judgment Day, one of the questions the Lord's going to ask us is, do you, do you believe that I really loved you? Do you believe that I desired you, that I waited for you day after day? I just longed to hear the sound of your voice. In the winter of um, 1968, there's a Catholic priest. His name Brennan Manning. I mentioned him earlier. He's living in a cave, as you do in the Saragossa Desert in Spain. It was six, some 6,000 feet above sea level. He'd been there for like six months, living in complete solitude. He never saw another human face. He didn't hear another human voice. Uh, just once a week, a chap from a local village would come and drop food off at a designated spot. There was some food and some drinking water and give him some kerosene for his lamp or whatever. Uh, this chap, his bed was a stone slab. He had a few potato sacks, you know, as a mattress. Um, and he got up every night at two o'clock in the morning and he spent at least an hour in praise and thanksgiving to God. And anyway, on the night of the 13th of December 1968, in what he describes as a decisive moment in his own journey with Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Manning felt that Jesus said this to him. For love of you, I left my father's side 
and I came for you. Who ran from me, who fled from me, who did not want to hear my name. For you, I was covered with spit, punched, beaten, and fixed to the wood of the cross. A man goes on, he says this, I looked at the crucifix for a long time and figuratively saw the blood streaming from every wound in Christ's body and heard the cry of his blood. And the longer I looked, the more I realized that no man or woman has ever loved me as he has. And I went out into the darkness and I shouted, Jesus, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind to have loved me so much? And now I realize that those words are still burned on my life. See, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is a love affair. It's a love affair. The, the thrill, the excitement of being loved unconditionally, of falling in love with Jesus, who is alive and present this morning and with us. He takes us to the Father. He, he pours out his Holy Spirit upon us. Not to be nicer people, not just to be people who could constantly do better, not to be people who could, you know, try and try and try and try again. You fail and fail and fail and fail again. But, but to be brand new creations. We're brand new creations. Anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. Given life to the full by the breath of the Father's love. And we're called to be, we're made to be beacons of hope. Ignited with the flaming spirit of the living God. We're, we're called and we're created to be beings who are transformed with ever-increasing glory into the image of Jesus. So this morning, um, my encouragement to us all is dare to believe the truth that Jesus loves you. Dare to believe the truth that Jesus loves you. That he loves you right now, this morning, just as you are, and not as you should be. Let's see if we can allow the Spirit of God to minister that truth to us. Why don't you stand?